That's right. We'll see. Well, I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Good to be together as a church family. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also pour out love by serving others. Today is a milestone day for Lake Forest Davidson. This is our first Sunday to have three worship services. We had the 815, that was the new one, then the 930 and the 11. The 815 went really well. I noticed many of you were at that service that was a joke to, for the 11 o'clockers there. It went really well. 8.15 went really well. We're doing that service a little bit differently. It's a little bit shorter of a service, and then it has weekly communion. So it was a, a big hit this morning, and uh, at some point, at some, we'd love for you to come see it, just so you kind of know what it is, and you could point a friend towards it. Um, that would be wonderful, but, uh, you know... That may be down the, way down the list for some of y'all, but just, just wanted you to know we did that today, and it was a great, great start to the three service. The other exciting thing, as HC just reminded me, is I really will have this sermon down by the 11 o'clock service. So that'll be, that'll be really exciting. Before I jump into the sermon, this is also the day we love to celebrate that our uh, Davidson students are back. School class starts tomorrow, I believe. I, uh, class starts tomorrow, Erlen. You got to get the syllabus ready. Okay. Um, I wore my shirt, the same shirt Victor wore, so we're very, we're, we're ready. We're ready to go. Uh, this is my little soapbox about faith in college. I was a Davidson student back in the day. Uh, it feels like a long time ago now, but I uh, was a math and religion double major and then have been a uh, pastor of this church for seven plus years now. And so this is my little soapbox about faith in college, and it's this. In college, your faith will start strengthen, stagnate, or shipwreck, but you will leave different than you came in. And I'll say that this week, and I'll say that next week, and then I'll never bring it up again. Uh, but this is, so much of the narrative of, is in college is people lose their faith or walk away from their faith or decide they can't be a person of faith. We see something really different from where we're situated. We see a lot of people who come to faith in Christ during college or who grow in their faith in Christ during college. And so I just say that to anyone who is in college and and with us, well done for being here. Continue to take God seriously. Continue to take your faith seriously or just your pursuit and your asking of questions seriously. And we'd love to help however we can. And whether you get plugged in here or in some church, find a place that, that can be home for you. And if you do want to get plugged in here, listen to what Lindsay said and go grab that Connect Contribute card and find a way you can connect or contribute to, to what's going on here. That kind of helps it feel a little more like home, like family, not just I show up here every week, but I'm a little more integrated into what's going on. So I'll say that almost exact same thing next week, and uh, almost verbatim perhaps, and then, we'll, uh, then we won't do it again for a whole year. Some of you could actually give that little speech that I give now, which would be fabulous. Here's the sermon. Some years ago, there was a folk singer named Harry Chapin. Harry Chapin had one number one hit. That number one hit was Cats in the Cradle. Very good. Some of you had the vinyl, apparently. 
Those of us who did not will go home this afternoon and listen to it on Spotify. Cats in the Cradle. It was his only number one hit. I saw the behind the music on him to, for another cultural reference. But uh, Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle. If you've ever heard this song, or if you haven't, it's worth the listen. It's basically about a father and a son, and the son wants to be just like the father, but the father is never around. And then at the end of the song, the father is older, he is retired, he calls up his son and says, hey son, can we get together? I'd love to get together. The son says, man, dad, I'd love to, but I'm just too busy right now, but I love you, thanks for calling. And then the dad uh, hangs up the phone, and he realizes his son got just what he wanted. His son had become just like his father. Woof! Man, get out the Kleenexes on that song, man. Woo, that's tough. That's tough. It's a good song, though. I bring it up because today we're starting a new series of sermons that we're affectionately calling This Is Us. Speaking of get out your Kleenexes, this is the show on TV where people cry watching the ads. And the point of the show, though, is that our relationships, even when they are a struggle, our relationships are worth it. And we would agree with that. And that's sort of the point of this series. Our relationships, even when they're a struggle, are worth it. From a Christian perspective, it's our closest relationships, even when they are a struggle, or maybe especially when they are a struggle. Our closest relationships can be transformative because we must rely on God to transform us and to lead us so that we do things God's way. So sometimes when relationships get hard, we want to kind of back out of them. We want to get away from the struggle. But sometimes it is actually in the midst of the struggle that God does some of his most remarkable work. What I want to look at today is one of the Bible's clearest commandments about relationships. And what we're going to find in that commandment is that it's actually an open door to a much larger principle that could apply to almost any relationship in our lives But to start, we want to start where Gray started when he read us the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments occur in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, and one especially uh, today. If you don't have a Bible, you're always free to take the one in the chair as our gift to you. We would love that. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, God's people are nomads. They're wandering in the desert. They do not have a place to call home, but God has promised He is going to take them to a land that they can call home, that will be their home. They develop a very special name for this promised uh, land, this land that God has promised them. It's a very uh, complicated, hard to remember name. They called it the promised land. And they are headed to this promised land, and on the way to the promised land, God gives them a number of things. One of the things He gives them is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments do at least two things. The Ten Commandments conveyed to the people God's heart while also giving them an indication of how far short of God we each fall. The Ten Commandments do at least two things. They convey to us God's heart, but they also show us how far short of God that we fall. Any commandment in the Bible gives us a sense of God. Who is God? What does God care about? What does God love? What does God not love? How might we get our hearts and our minds and our wills to better align with God's heart and God's mind and God's will? Now, of course, when you try to do this, what you often discover is that's easier said than done. 
it can become discouraging trying to get your heart, your mind, your will to line up more with God's heart, God's mind, God's will. It's not uncommon to meet someone who's, whether new to church or new to the Bible or new to following Jesus, and they're really gung-ho about it, and they're like, I'm going to follow the Ten Commandments perfectly. And that goes really well for about a day. Then it starts to get a little rocky. Then it gets really discouraging. Because part of what the Ten Commandments do is they point out to us that our default setting, the default setting of the human will, is not to do things God's way, but to do things our own way. It's part of the default setting of the human will. So the Ten Commandments shows us how much our lives can miss the mark, how much our desires don't necessarily align with God's desires. And so in order to have a relationship with God, we need God to go first. In order to have a relationship with God, we need God's forgiveness. We need God's help. We need God's outstretched hand if we're to have a relationship with God. So the Ten Commandments tell us more about God, but they also tell us how hard it is for us to get to God. Left to ourselves, we cannot. But thank goodness God came to us through Jesus Christ. The commandment we want to look at today is this one, Deuteronomy 5.16. It says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So what's the the heart of the command? Honor your father and mother. Now as soon as you raise this, people have all kind of questions. Like, what does it mean to honor my father and mother? Or, I got like one good parent and one not good parent. So like, how am I supposed to work that one out? Or I'm adopted, like what set of parents are we talking about? There's all kinds of questions that come up when you say honor your father and mother. So I don't have time, nor would you tolerate it, if I tried to work through all the potential variations of the questions you might have related to the commandment during this sermon. What I want to do is trace out the big picture idea, the big rule out of which you'd start to make sense of the, whatever your variant question is. To get a sense of the big rule, you and I need to remember that the Ten Commandments were not primarily addressed to children. Right? I mean, a lot of Ten Commandments don't even make sense if you're a ten-year-old. Ten-year-olds didn't have oxen of their own, and so they weren't coveting other people's oxen. That they weren't old enough to have a... a, um, uh, have purchased a servant. They were not concerned about giving false witness in a, in a courtroom setting. And as anyone who's ever taught the 10-year-old class learns and you try to teach the Ten Commandments, there's an immediate question around the end of the list, and it is, what is adultery? And, and the most popular answer to that question is, of course, go ask the pastor. And by that they mean Dr. Bud or Holly or Gray. Go ask one of those pastors. They would love to tell you. So we have to remember, in its original context, the Ten Commandments was first and foremost given to the adult generation of that era. And in fact, in the next chapter, Deuteronomy 6, they are told to teach these things to their children. So if the Ten Commandments were first and foremost given to the adult generation of that era, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? Who's being referenced? 
the aging generation is being referenced. Honor your aging father and mother. Honor, don't despise them in the midst of what they're going through. And then it continues and says, so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. In other words, there's still some time before y'all get to the promised land. And in fact, as you get closer to the promised land, the group that's in the middle, the middle group, is actually going to be the older group. And the little kids are going to be the middle group, and they'll have created a new little group. So, by the time you get close to the promised land, you, the middle generation, you'll be the older generation, and you may live long, and it may go well for you in this promised land, but that's going to depend on how you're treated in your old age. Well, how is how you're treated in your old age going to be determined? Well, it'll be how well your kids take care of you. But where did your kids learn how to take care of their aging parents? By watching you take care of your aging parents. Do I need to map that out or did that make sense? That made sense. Good. I've explained it three times, so I just need to make sure. In other words, what this is pointing out to the generation of that day is that they are setting a norm They are setting a norm of how you care for your aging parents and your little kids, those little eyes are on you and that's where they're going to learn what it means to honor your father and mother as they age. Now that's not to say that command is not also for little children. It is for little children. It's for all of us. But I'm saying in its initial context, this is what it was trying to describe. The bigger principle then is this, that you and I through our actions convey to others what is normal and acceptable behavior. And it's God's desire, both for our good and for the world's good, that we demonstrate God-honoring behavior. Because little eyes and little brains interpret what we're doing. And they're determining what is normal, acceptable, expected behavior. So then what does it mean in that context to honor your parents? What does it mean to esteem your parents? What does it mean to value your parents? Some of you won't be able to do this because of your, uh, this little exercise I'm about to suggest because of your place in life, so you can just zone out for about three minutes. But if you can do this, do it. Think about when you are in the same position that your parents are today. When sometime in the future you're in the same position that your parents are in today. How do you want your kids to treat you? Think about you being in the position that your parents are in today, sometime in the future. How do you want your kids to treat you? That's how you begin to answer the question, what does it mean to honor my father and my mother? So as I'm nearing the end of my life, or as I've just sent my kids off to college, or I have a 10-year-old at home, or I have a teenager at home, how do I hope I will be treated? That's just how we begin to get our heads around. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? Now, this holds true in other areas of life as well, that for children and for new people, 
right? When someone is new to your company, when someone is new to your neighborhood, when someone is new to your school or new to your campus or, or new on your street or whatever, new to our church, new in your community group, new on your team, they kind of feel like you know what you're doing. And so they take what you're doing and say, that's normal expected behavior. That's what I'm going to do. So it's true in all areas of life. It's true in our family schedules. That's what the song Cats in the Cradle is about, that kids aren't born knowing how to schedule activities. Kids don't ask for planning calendars and day timers at their first birthday. I take that back. I met a couple people when I was at Davidson College who I think probably, probably did ask for a day timer on their first birthday. But generally speaking, we, we don't under, we're not born knowing what kind of a pace of life to live. We... we study the pace of life we grew up under and that's what we assume is the right pace of life so what are little eyes and little minds learning from us about pace of life are 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 they being uh, taught the importance of pursuing god and finding family time and church family time in the midst of other activities This works in our neighborhood, it works on our campuses, it works on our street. How do people in this community relate to each other? How do people in this church treat each other? How do people in this town relate to one another? You and I have the opportunity to set norms that are more God-honoring than the ones we inherited. And this, in fact, meshes with something that Jesus taught. Jesus taught in Matthew 7. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Law and prophets is just a way that people in Jesus' time would have referred to the Old Testament. So Jesus essentially says, I'm about to give you a summary of the Old Testament. People get their pens and papers ready. Because if you know much about the Bible, the Old Testament is long and thick, so a summary is going to take a while. Jesus says, here's my summary of the Old Testament. Do to others what you would have them do to you. That's not going to cramp your hand to write. Do to others what you would have them do to you. It's his interpretive framework for making sense of the Old Testament. And so then we apply that back to what was taught in that command as sort of the framework through which to interpret the command. Do to others what you would have them do to you. That's kind of the same thing honor your father and mother is is pointing out at its heart. So do to others what you would have them do to you. That is God's heart for us. Think of what you would want if you were in their shoes and act accordingly. Think about what you would want if you were in that person's shoes and act accordingly. And what the little commandment about honor your father and mother points out is, because one day you may be in their shoes. One day you may be the parent, not the child. One day you may be the professor, not the student. One day you may be the employer, not the employee. One day you may be the person asking for money, not the person being asked for money. And so you and I have the potential of benefiting from or or being on the wrong end of norms that we help set or norms that we reinforced. So you and I have the opportunity, the option, the privilege of setting more God-honoring norms than the ones we necessarily inherited. 
And all of this ties in, I believe, with Romans 5.8, which says that God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because I can just see how this sermon could kind of go off the rails. So you're like, all right, do to others as I would have them do to me. And you walk out of here as confident as that person who's going to keep all the Ten Commandments. It's going to work really well for about a day. Then it's going to get rocky. Then it's going to get discouraging. Because when you and I try to love people, to, to do to others what we would have them do to us, again, we realize that, that how hard it is for us to sync with what God desires, how much our hearts and minds and wills have trouble aligning with God's heart, God's mind, and God's will. And this is why we need to be reminded that God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the central truth of the Christian faith, that you can be certain that God loves you. You can be certain that God desires to have a relationship with you. And not a relationship based on shame, not a relationship based on guilt, not even a relationship based on your good effort. God desires to have a relationship with you because of what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. But while you and I were still sinners, and sin is an archery term, you all look like a bunch of archers, so I may not need to explain this necessarily, but sin is an archery term. Sin meant to miss the mark. If you were shooting an arrow, you missed the target, you would say, oh man, I sinned. I missed the mark. That's all it meant originally. Then it got picked up as a theological term. And it means that when our lives miss the mark, when our lives still miss the mark, Christ died for us. When you and I were rebelling against God, Christ died for us. When you and I were walking away from God, Christ died for us. When you and I were still struggling to do even the basic things right, Christ died for us. He sacrificially offered up His own life. He died on a cross. A sinless Savior died so that sinful people could be reconciled to God and forgiven and live out of that forgiveness, live out of that reconciliation. Jesus promises to make us new, to turn our lives in a new direction. If we will give up control, if we will trust our lives into His hands, if we will trust Him to be in charge of our lives. And thus Jesus completes His own words. Jesus gave His life sacrificially for us so that we might give our lives sacrificially for Him. Jesus gave His life sacrificially for us so that we might give our lives sacrificially for Him. He did for us what He hopes we will do for Him. He did to others as He would have those others do for Him. And while we were still missing the mark, while we were still walking away from God, while we were still rebelling against God, Jesus set a new norm. He set a new norm, a new direction, a new standard. And He invites you and me to give our lives to His leadership, to trust our lives, even the hard parts, even the parts that don't make sense, to trust our lives to Him as an offering into His hands. 
living not for ourselves, but living for Christ, following in Christ's footsteps, and as those who follow in Christ's footsteps, doing to others as we would have them do to us. So my little wrap-up question for this uh, Sunday morning is this. Jesus taught, do to others what you would have them do to you. In fact, what I've tried to point out in this conclusion is, Jesus lived that too, do to others what you would have them do to you. How might you live out that norm in a relationship this week? By God's grace, with God's help, How might you live out the new norm that Jesus set? Do to others as you would have them do to you. It may be with a parent. It may be with a child. It may be with a sibling. It may be with a neighbor or a co-worker. It may be in a contentious relationship that you have. Maybe with a friend. Or for you, it might be your relationship with God, that you need to actually realize those words are about your relationship with God as well, but you were not expected to go first. That God sacrificially gave His life for you through Christ so that you might sacrificially give your life to Him. You can have a reconciled relationship with God. You can walk through this life, the good, the bad. You can walk through this life with God, knowing that you are God's child. Not because of anything you've done, but because of Christ. So that's my little sermon, and I'm sticking to it. How might you live out that sermon in a relationship this week? Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance in this quiet moment to pray to talk with God or to listen to God. About whatever it is He's stirring in your heart or in your mind. I don't know where you are today. I don't know the pressures that are upon you. I don't know the things that you're celebrating. But God does. So just spend a few quiet moments in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the relationships that you've put in our lives as the routines of the school season begin again. I thank you for the new relationships that you will form in many of our lives. I thank you that we don't have to walk through life by ourselves. 
Lord, I pray for our congregation that we would not back away from the places of struggle. I pray you would give us new strength to engage where relationships have gotten hard. Jesus, you taught us to do to others as you would have them do to us. And so, Lord, we don't just want to follow your teaching. We we want to follow your teaching relying on your strength. And so I pray you would strengthen us, even in the hard moments, to depend upon you as we set out to create new norms that are more God-honoring than the ones we've inherited or the ones that we've lived up until this point. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are near that the starting line of faith and we're thinking about stepping over the starting line, thinking about following Jesus, thinking of committing our lives into your hands maybe as our last resort. I pray during this song or in these closing moments or in this week that follows, we will make the step of stepping over the starting line. We will follow Jesus and sacrificially give our lives to the one who sacrificially gave his life for us. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.